Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 40 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 5, Episode 39 for Part 1 of this three-part case. The third instalment will be available tomorrow. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. of December 9th, 2014, Angela Wrightson was found lifeless on the sofa in her living room. She had died from multiple injuries inflicted during a brutal assault committed over the course of several hours. Due to the severity of the attack, a pathologist could not confirm a cause of death. Two teenagers, a 13 and 14-year-old, were charged with Angela's murder. The trial began at Teesside Crown Court seven months after the killing. However, due to hundreds of comments made by the public on social media revealing the identity of the suspects and making threats to their lives, legal proceedings were abandoned. Seventy miles away, a new trial would take place at Leeds Crown Court. Court. 
Angela Wrightson was vulnerable, an alcoholic who lived alone, desperate for someone to talk to. There are CCTV cameras on either end of Stephen Street because it is a notorious area. Angela Wrightson had many teenage visitors. She bought them alcohol because she'd get some in return. False friendships that brought her life to the most horrific end. It was a torturous attack on a helpless woman. There were over 100 injuries to her body and several items were used, a stick with screws in it, a shovel and a television set. February 2016. Like the first trial, because of the defendant's ages, robes and wigs were not worn in the courtroom, and neither of the accused sat in the dock, but to the side, supported by an intermediary. Prosecutor Nicholas Campbell QC laid out the case in much the same way he had done the previous summer. He described how Angela Wrightson's body was found by her landlord. She had been attacked approximately 100 times across 12 different locations in her home. Angela Wrightson's hair, skin and blood were found on several makeshift weapons employed to inflict the abrasions, bruises, cuts and gashes. At the second trial, Jennifer pleaded not guilty, instead blaming her co-defendant, Samantha. These are not their real names. Samantha was also pleading not guilty to murder, instead offering a guilty plea to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. A doctor would later offer evidence in her defence. Along with, quote, mild learning difficulties and a low IQ between 60 and 70, Samantha was diagnosed with a condition labelled Other Mixed Disorder of Conduct and Emotions. Dr Indranil Chakrabarti, a forensic psychiatrist, believed this condition affected Samantha's mental functioning, hindering her ability to understand her actions and exercise self-control. The doctor would tell the court, her cognitive abilities, her early life experiences and violent upbringing make her far more dangerous because it affects her self-control. If not for these illnesses, she would have had self-control. Dr Gemma Escott, a forensic scientist who attended the scene on December 9th, 2014, described how a television, table and printer had been lifted up and dropped or thrown at the victim, causing at least 20 injuries. Not only were there wounds to Angela Wrightson's head, but to her body and all four of her limbs. Angela bled heavily on the tracksuit bottoms that she was wearing when she was attacked. They had been removed along with a pair of undershorts. The trousers, balled up and left on the same sofa, were stained as she had lost control of her bodily functions. Dr Escott analysed the clothing and footwear worn by the defendants. 
it was concluded that they both forcefully struck Angela Wrightson at least once. Based on the forensic evidence from blood spatter, it was apparent that Samantha had either kicked or stomped on Angela. Jennifer was sure that the blood found on her clothing was simply a transfer of evidence. She claimed she was standing up when the victim was struck and cast off landed on her jeans. Dr. Escott said the spatter pattern was not consistent with that explanation. Samantha stated that she was only partially responsible for the attack and even suggested she had made an effort to help Angela Wrightson. Dr. Escott could find nothing at the scene that suggested anyone offered assistance given the state of Angela's body when it was found. It was understood the defendants attempted to start a fire. Angela's clothing, the shirt she was wearing when she was found and a pair of trousers that had been removed appeared to have been scorched. Forensic analysis was completed throughout the entire property. While it was alleged that both of the defendants were at the scene, only fingerprints from one of the suspects were found. Twenty impressions belonged to Samantha. Only a single fingerprint was retrieved from the item said to have been used in the attack. Recovered from a printer, this impression belonged to Samantha. Jamie Hill QC defending Samantha suggested that Angela was still alive after the attack. Along with his client's claims, some bloody baby wipes were found at the scene and a t-shirt marked with specks of blood was discovered in a laundry basket. However, based on the evidence, Dr. Escott found it hard to believe that Angela Wrightson could get up after what had happened. The forensic scientist explained during her testimony that no evidence backed up that theory. Escott said, There's an absence of blood drips both at the scene and down her body, and there's an absence of more extensive smearing in the passageway to the kitchen and bathroom. Home office pathologist Dr. Mark Egan testified about what he found when conducting the post-mortem. Angela had consumed alcohol that night. There was no signs that she had taken drugs. The doctor revealed that Angela had cirrhosis of the liver due to her alcohol consumption. Angela had not drunk enough alcohol to contribute to her cause of death. Dr. Egan testified. It would have made her more susceptible to falling or impaired her coordination. It can also worsen the impact of a blow to the head, but I would rule out any suggestion the level of blood alcohol was a fatal one. Bruising and tearing inside the mouth indicated punches or kicks to the face and injuries to the scalp appeared to be the result of sharp objects such as a knife or a piece of glass that had been driven into the skull. 
In total, there were 80 injuries to the face or chin, with the remainder spread over the rest of her body. Dr. Egan described these as less severe, though, quote, far from trivial, with the focus of the attack around the head and face. Angela had been assaulted in a dozen places in her home, and it was understood her body was moved to the sofa before it was found. Although Angela had suffered considerable blood loss due to the extent of the attack, the expert witness could not conclusively offer a cause of death. Dr. Mark Egan said it was either asphyxiation, a head injury, or blood loss. The precise mode of death is difficult to decide, he testified. As the jury of eight women and four men were being told the details of the attack, the young defendants became so upset the proceedings had to be briefly halted so they could compose themselves. They were allowed to remain outside of the courtroom as the rest of the evidence surrounding the injuries inflicted were presented to jurors. John Megerson, Angela Wrightson's landlord, spoke about finding his tenant motionless and semi-naked. The last time he had seen Angela was approximately 4pm on Monday, December 8th, around five hours before she was attacked. She did not appear injured, at least to any significant extent. Megerson described the relationship he had with his tenant as respectful, although Angela did have a dependency on alcohol. An argument broke out that day when he refused to buy her a bottle of wine. She threw her house keys at him as he departed. Megerson picked them up off the floor and decided to return them in the morning when Angela had sobered up. When Megerson discovered her body, he at first considered that Angela had ended her own life. Hello, please. Hi, it's the ambulance service. Hello. Hi, can we have your attendance, please? Uh, yeah, where are we going? Stephen Street in Hartlepool. Okay, and what's going on there? We've the landlord's turned up at Angela Wrightson's home address. Yeah. Um, right. Who's have just arrived and ask for your attendance immediately, please? No, it's okay, no problem. Do you have a log number, please? Yeah, six two nine. Angela's friends and acquaintances spoke about the woman who had lost her life. She was described as a lost soul who was frequently taken advantage of. The witness, Donna Jenkins, had formed a close bond with Angela. In 2005, they were both serving a jail term in Low Newton Prison. Telling the court about Angela's situation, Jenkins testified... People would take money and mobile phones from her and use her home as a DOS house. She'd cry and tell me that she had no family. I think Angela craved company. And she found life easier in prison than outside. She was largely institutionalised.
Based on witness testimony, Angela frequently drank to excess. It was not uncommon for her to drink several litres of cider a day. Sometimes she consumed up to nine large bottles. As detectives were piecing together what happened, they interviewed friends of the two accused teenagers, one of whom had spoken with the youngest defendant, Jennifer, hours before her arrest. They talked on the phone and then met in person. Due to the friend's age, the witness could not be identified. However, she revealed that Jennifer had told her they wanted the scene to appear as if Angela had taken her own life. It was, according to Jennifer, Samantha's idea that they return to the scene and find a knife which they could leave next to the body. But they could not find one. Reading articles about the crime on her phone the next day, Jennifer was shaking. She told her friend, We done Angie in last night. After the two suspects were taken into custody, Jennifer the youngest spoke with older teenagers who were also being held on remand for unrelated crimes. One such witness who again could not be named because of her age gave evidence via video link and relayed the conversations she had with Jennifer. She summarised what she learned and testified to the court. Jennifer said this girl started lying about her, so they went round to this girl's house and just slapped her up and gave her a beating to shut her up, but it went a bit too far. I think Jennifer's mate went a bit too far and started smashing things up. The witness said that Jennifer did not admit to killing anyone, suggesting it was Samantha who carried out the attack. Angela Wrightson was not explicitly named, but Jennifer said she went, quote, mental. The young witness recalled Jennifer laughing manically, she recounted the events. Jennifer was asked if she felt guilt or regret, and she told the witness that Angela had it coming. Jamie Hill QC defending Samantha asked for more clarity about what the witness knew. He was informed that Jennifer had watched the majority of the attack, although she too joined in the assault as the events drew to their conclusion. Both of the suspects were said to have thrown or smashed household items over the victim, but it was Samantha who was kicking or stomping on Angela's head. Acting on Jennifer's behalf, John Elvidge QC was unwilling to accept what the witness was saying and voiced his disbelief. The witness said she was only telling the story she had been told. Why would I lie about it, she said. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Testifying in her own defence, the older of the two girls, Samantha, spoke about herself and the night Angela Wrightson was killed. Biting her nails and sitting cross-legged, she addressed the court in a sombre tone. When asked for her date of birth, Samantha admitted that she did not know her own birthday. Born in April 2000, Samantha was placed in the care system when she was 12. She told jurors of a complex relationship with her mother. Her father and the fathers of her half-siblings were all in prison. She witnessed her mother being subjected to physical abuse repeatedly. She had been stabbed and struck with a golf club. Samantha admitted she had been drinking and taking illegal substances regularly from an early age. She was asked about what drugs she took. Samantha said, When I was 11 or 12, just whiz and tablets and that. The tablets were gammies, tramadol, codeine and that. By December 2014, I was taking blues. 
that made you feel out of it really bad. And sometimes you would get white stuff from your mouth. Sometimes I took them separately. Sometimes with drink. As a way to deal with her violent rages, Samantha was told by her carers to draw. One of these drawings was found after she was arrested. Samantha said she frequently thought about what happened. I think about hurting myself loads and trying to kill myself. I think about that night. I will see blood up the wall and my hands get sweaty, she said. Speaking over a video link from a separate room within the court building, she claimed that it was Jennifer who told her to carry out the attack. Samantha said, I always do what people tell me to. I don't know why. I do it if I want to, but I also do it if I don't want to. The defendant insisted that she always told Jennifer everything, even her Facebook password, and she was frequently ordered to meet up in the evenings even when she did not want to go. On the night of December 8th, 2014, Samantha had consumed cider and taken both codeine and tramadol. She claimed she had obtained them from her mother. Considering they had been arguing, how she had acquired the drugs was not addressed directly. Once in the home of Angela Wrightson, the young defendant admitted that she started arguing. She was upset as apparently Angela had chased a sibling down the street with a metal bar. Samantha alleged that she was spoken down to by Angela, told she would remain in the care system, unlikely to ever see her family again. I started crying because I was getting wound up, and I started flinging stuff, Samantha told jurors. She described the attack. Samantha admitted that she violently struck out, but only under the instruction of her younger friend. It was while Jennifer was browsing the internet on her phone she had allegedly told Samantha to knock Angela out. Samantha claimed that she was instructed to pick up a table which was thrown at Angela Wrightson's face. Samantha said, Jennifer was saying she deserved it and was taking the piss out of her accent and copying the way she talked. Angela waved her arms to stop them, although she was overpowered, and it appeared based on her injuries she was restrained. Samantha admitted that she also kicked the victim in the face twice, as Jennifer stamped on Angela's head. The defendant claimed that she just did what she was told by Jennifer. She could see that Angela was struggling to breathe and was bleeding heavily from her injuries. Angela's nose was popped or broken. She was lying on the floor, Samantha testified. Jennifer said she was bored and wanted to go out. I said, You are bored when you have just done that to someone. You would not like it if someone did that to you. 
and she just started laughing. I tried to pick Angela up. I was going, Ange, Ange. Her body was just flopping. I was scared and I got blood on my hands and wiped them on my jeans. She was still breathing. Samantha said she asked Jennifer to call an ambulance, but Jennifer never did. Samantha was insistent that she did not mean to cause anyone any harm. After the attack, she had asked Jennifer why Angela was mumbling. Samantha was told that Angela was having a flashback, which is what happens when someone dies. Samantha testified, When I was 14, I thought you could only die when you got cancer, or when you got shot in the head or stabbed in the heart, or something like that. When asked about why Angela was found naked with ornamental pebbles and glass around the naked lower half of her body, Samantha did not have an answer. Samantha was questioned by Jennifer's defence counsel, John Elvidge QC. Elvidge was comparing what Samantha was now saying with the statement she had provided to the police in her initial interview. Samantha had at first claimed to police she went to Angela Wrightson's home for a cigarette lighter. During the search for one, some of the items in the house had been moved around. She was told this did not fully explain why the property looked like a bomb site, and Angela Wrightson was found beaten to death. Samantha was eventually forced to admit that her first statement was false. She claimed she panicked when she was interviewed and did not know what to say. Samantha was asked if she was lying about what had happened to make it appear as though Jennifer was responsible. Samantha denied she was. She claimed that she was not blaming anyone else only recounting what had really happened. According to Samantha, it was Jennifer who told her what to do. Samantha then described what she thought she would see when the girls returned to Angela's home in the early morning of December 9th. She said, When I walked in, I just thought she was going to be how she was. But there was lots of blood. While the two girls had been incarcerated as the first trial was underway, the court was told Jennifer drafted a letter which she attempted to send to Samantha in July 2015. It did not reach its intended destination. It was intercepted by staff at the detention centre where Jennifer was being held. In the correspondence, Jennifer wrote how she could not believe what had happened, and it was, quote, fucking shit being locked up. Jennifer told Samantha her story for the night in question, including how she claimed that Angela Wrightson had pulled a knife and Angela was alive when they left. 
It appears Jennifer was trying to ensure the accounts of both girls would be consistent. The letter read by the prosecutor told Samantha, whatever happens, to keep her chin up. Quote, Wait until we get out. Me and you on the sesh again. But this time it will be bigger and better, I'm telling you. Keep strong, princess. Write back and rip this up and flush it down the loo so none of the staff see when they do a room search. See you in court. Love you, Bonnie Lass. Samantha had been testifying to the court in 30-minute sessions with 10-minute breaks in between. It was clear that she could not hold her concentration for any longer as the legal proceedings were often halted. The jury were told that there had been numerous periods in Samantha's life when she had self-harmed. On several occasions during the legal proceeding, she had attempted to take her own life. The judge spoke about the importance of mindfulness and ensuring the defendant was in a fit state to offer evidence. Samantha's mental state was discussed by several psychiatrists. Forensic psychiatrist Dr. Indranil Chakrabarti was of the opinion that a diagnosis of a mental condition called Other Mixed Disorder of Conduct and Emotions impacted Samantha's understanding of her actions, which meant she would have difficulty forming rational judgments. Chakrabarti had interviewed Samantha four times in the lead-up to the trial. From what he could gather, she did not have a psychotic illness. The expert witness went on to say that being raised in a violent household, Samantha's understanding of excessive force would also be affected, as her perception had been warped by her upbringing. Chakrabarti said that along with her condition, in which lying was a characteristic, This meant that Samantha would exhibit aggressive and cruel behaviour. Prosecutor Nicholas Campbell QC questioned Dr Chakrabarti in regards to Samantha's ability to understand her actions. Campbell told the court that partway through the attack, Samantha and Jennifer were interrupted when two callers arrived at the house on Stephen Street. This occurred in the late evening. By this point, Angela had been subjected to a severe beating. She was incapacitated, out of sight from prying eyes. The home was in disarray. Both defendants were hiding at the back of the property, first in the kitchen, then in the bathroom. Tracy Gascoigne and Melanie Moon were friends with Angela and often spent time in her company drinking. Over a period of approximately five minutes, they stood outside the property and one of them briefly went inside. Melanie Moon entered through the unlocked front door and seeing the carnage in the front room shouted, 
Someone's wrecked Angie's house. You should see the state of it. A voice replied, I don't care. Assuming this was Angela, who was by now dead or possibly unconscious, her friend left. The prosecutor wondered how Samantha had the peace of mind to hide so the attack was not discovered, but she did not understand her actions and could not apparently form rational judgments. Dr. Chakrabarti did not believe that this was a relevant indicator that she was fully aware of what she was doing. Chakrabarti thought the attack was an impulsive act, something that would likely be repeated because of Samantha's mental condition. Another expert witness testifying for the prosecution did agree with Samantha's diagnosis of other mixed disorder of conduct and emotions. However, he did not concur with Dr. Chakrabarti's opinion that the mental condition would have been significant enough to impair Samantha's self-control. He highlighted the points raised by the prosecutor. Forensic psychiatrist Dr. Kenny Ross told the court, Samantha lied about why her clothes were bloodstained, which in terms of avoiding repercussions was a rational action. She also hid in Angela Wrightson's bathroom when there was a disturbance at the front door, which was a rational action. Dr. Ross pointed out that several different items were used to commit the attack which had stopped and then started again. She showed, quote, a degree of self-control and choice was evident. The younger defendant, who was 13 when Angela Wrightson died, was interviewed by detectives several times while incarcerated. Jennifer at first remained guarded and would not provide the pin to unlock her mobile phone. Transcripts of those early conversations with officers were read to the court. By all accounts, there was no plan for Jennifer and Samantha to see each other on the evening of December 8th, 2014. They had coincidentally met while visiting a mutual friend. They decided to spend the night in each other's company and entered uninvited through Angela Wrightson's unlocked front door. Jennifer would claim an argument broke out between Samantha and Angela. She asserted that she watched as Angela was assaulted, being kicked before a table was thrown in her direction. Samantha pushed Angela who struck her head on the mantelpiece. In her statement, Jennifer told detectives that Samantha then said she was bored and wanted to leave. This statement appeared to be mimicking her friend's account, though Jennifer had provided her statement first while in police custody. Jennifer said she was the one who tried to help Angela get up, and that's why there was blood on her jeans. Samantha was just laughing. 
It seemed the defendants were saying the exact same thing, but their roles were reversed. Jennifer explained, I did not in any way assault Angela. I tried to prevent Samantha, but could not. When I left the property to the best of my knowledge, Angela was alive. Testifying via video link much like her co-defendant, Jennifer said that along with Samantha they went to Angela Wrightson's home as they had nowhere to go and needed to charge her mobile phone. She claimed to have watched as Samantha put a cigarette out on the side of Angela's head. I was just sat on the sofa and looking at Facebook on my phone, she said. Jennifer explained that blood only came to be on her hands as she moved Samantha's leg out of the way when she was kicking Angela. She said that she then wiped her hands on her jeans. Jennifer initially said she didn't really think about what had happened and never thought Angela Wrightson would die from her injuries. After evidence had been presented to the jury by forensic scientist Dr Gemma Escott, an expert in blood spatter analysis, Jennifer's counsel told the court that his client would like to make an amendment to her statement. Jennifer was now admitting that she did strike Angela with a piece of furniture. She explained why she made amendments to her version of the events. That Gemma Escort said I did something, and my brain told me to say it. As the trial came to an end, John Elvidge QC said although his client had admitted to striking Angela once, she could not have been responsible for a sustained assault that led to murder, as Jennifer was on her mobile phone constantly for three hours between 8 to 11 in the evening. There were a large number of incoming and outgoing messages and calls made through her phone. Jennifer's text messages mentioned several topics, including arranging a party, and at one point she got into an argument. It was claimed by Elvidge that Samantha was the instigator and carried out the majority of the attack. The barrister told the jury they should find his client not guilty, as no one could be sure Jennifer took part in the killing. Her fingerprints were neither found on the makeshift weapons nor the bloody marks at the scene. Elvidge suggested that any comments to friends about the attack was just bravado on Jennifer's part. He asked the jury to question how his client could coolly multitask and carry out conversations while, quote, duffing up Angela Wrightson. The barrister said, We suggest that she is one of those people who are pretty compulsive in their use of their phone. You might have formed the view such people are indifferent to what is happening to them and around them. She is a compulsive phone user, 
an egocentric teenager maintaining a series of conversations with different people, while, in any view, mayhem is going on around her. John Elvidge QC saw the defendant's mobile phone as her alibi. The barrister also felt that Jennifer's age needed to be taken into account. She spoke as a child, understood as a child and thought as a child, he said. So when others looked for answers to the question as to why this happened, what they should bear in mind, whatever was said and done, it was done by a 13-year-old girl. Jamie Hill, QC, representing Samantha, summarised the findings of forensic psychiatrist Dr. Indranil Chakrabarti. The barrister told the court that his client was not responsible for her actions. She is not a cold-blooded killer, he said. Hill went on to say that Samantha was not a, quote, fully functioning person at that particular time in her life. Cases like this are often portrayed as good versus evil. The reality is usually much more complicated than that, and here we have two deeply troubled children who found themselves in a sad and unpredictable world, which was Angela Wrightson's refuge. Neil spoke about Samantha's upbringing, a low IQ and mental state. According to the barrister, Samantha was being directed by Jennifer, who in his opinion wielded more influence. Hill said, I'm not suggesting either girl went to that house to cause violence. To be honest, I doubt if they even looked past the end of their noses. I suggest Samantha got dragged into a dispute Jennifer had with Angela Wrightson. It is just a terrible moment in history when these three people collided in the most appalling and tragic way. This is the end of episode 40. To hear more about the case of Angela Wrightson, please tune in tomorrow. This year, They Walk Among Us will appear at CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event. Rescheduled from its previous dates in June, CrimeCon is coming to London on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of September 2021. Tickets are on sale now at crimecon.co.uk and make sure to use the promo code TWAU at checkout to receive not only a special 10% discount, but you can pick up either an exclusive t-shirt or tote bag which you can collect directly from us during the convention. For more information, visit crimecon.co.uk and don't forget to use the promo code TWAU for 10% off.
Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Jeff Anslow, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.